The Marla Strana Walk. It may be translated as the Lesser Town in English, but don't be fooled. Marla Strana is one of Prague's foremost attractions. Formerly established as a town in 1257, it grew rapidly during the reign of Charles IV, who enlarged it and built state-of-the-art fortifications. In the 16th century, the area rose from the ashes of two great fires to become one of Europe's great cultural centers, with a plethora of noble residents moving in and a wealth of magnificent Baroque churches being built in the neighborhood. The highlight of which is the spectacular St Nicholas Church, built by three generations of the Dientzenhofer family. When the center of political power moved to Vienna in the 17th century, the nobility left town and the area reverted to local craftsmen and the poor. However, this was a blessing in disguise as the building boom of the 19th and 20th centuries passed it by, allowing it to retain its historic character through the ages. And today, with its ocean of red-tiled roofs, cobbled back streets, luxurious regal palaces and grand historic churches, all watched over by the magnificent Prague Castle, Marla Strana is one of the Czech capital's most picturesque neighborhoods with a great deal to offer tourists. Length: approximately 2 kilometers, 1.25 miles. The walk, excluding interior attractions, takes around 90 minutes. Starting point: the castle viewpoint. Getting there, take line A to Malostranska metro station, then tram 22 to either Pražský hrad or Pohorelec and walk to the lookout. You'll finish by Charles Bridge. Stopping off points. You'll find great cafes and restaurants offering light refreshments throughout the neighborhood, but they're mostly clustered around Malostranské náměstí and right along Nurodova. 1. Prague Castle viewpoint. The tour begins just south to the right of Prague Castle's main gate, which boasts one of the finest views in the city. From here, you can look out across Malostrana, drinking in the grand dome of St Nicholas Church, the pretty spire of the Church of Our Lady Victorious, and a cascade of beautiful red-roofed residences. and beyond over the Voltava to see the old town the new town and more some sites worth looking out for on the horizon include Zhizhkov TV tower a tall needle-like tower which was built in the 1980s and which as people with exceptional eyesight may notice is now adorned with a series of crawling faceless babies added by art prankster David Cherney Vishrad a historic cathedral and fortification that predates Prague Castle, the Powder Tower, a spectacular gothic structure that was once the main gate to the medieval walled gates, and more besides. You will also get a great sense of why the Czech capital is often known as the city of a thousand spires. 2. Kehradu to Neradova. From the Prague Castle viewpoint, you'll head down the short cobblestone street Kehradu. Simply turn left at the bottom of the large stairway, and you will emerge on the bustling tourist street of Nerudova, named after the renowned 19th-century poet and journalist Jan Neruda, who wrote a popular collection of short stories entitled, in English, "The Lesser Town Tales." This street has seen dozens of grand regal processions in its time, 
with everybody from bohemian kings to holy Roman emperors to communist leaders heading up Naradova en route to Prague Castle. The very first thing you'll see when you emerge onto the street is a large plaque commemorating one of the city's darkest incidents. In 1948, a large group of students marched along the street in protest against the new communist regime, but were met with a solid wall of armed police who immediately began to attack and beat them. A tragic harbinger for the 40 years of oppression that lay ahead. It's a disconcerting introduction to an otherwise pleasant street, but a potent and important reminder of the ongoing struggle for freedom and of how much Prague has changed since the Velvet Revolution. 3. Continuing down Narodova As you continue down the street, you'll notice that Narodova boasts an appealing assortment of little old burger houses – which are now mostly occupied by quaint souvenir shops and cosy restaurants. But look closer, and you'll also see that none of the houses have numbers. You see, house numbering is only a recent innovation in Prague. They were only introduced in 1770. And prior to that, buildings were distinguished by house signs above the main door. So as you walk along this ancient walkway, you will see many curious sets of symbols above doorways which correspond to the building's name. For example, at number 47, you'll find a frieze containing two rather grumpy-looking sons – and this is known, predictably, as the House of the Two Sons. It also happens to be where Jan Neruda lived for most of his life, until he moved a few doors down the street to the House of the Three Black Eagles. Continue down Narudova, and you'll come across many other impressive historic house signs too. The House of the Red Lion, number 41, which depicts a red lion holding a golden cup in his paw and was the home of the church painter Peter Brandel. The House of the Golden Lion, number 32, which is now home to a historical pharmacy exhibition. And the House of the Three Fiddles, number 12, which is where three families of violin makers lived. And there are more too. See if you can spot the houses of the White Swan, number 49, the Green Lobster, number 43, the Golden Horseshoe, number 34, and the Red Eagle, number 6. At the bottom of the street, you will see a series of buildings designed by the renowned 18th-century Italian architect Giovanni Santini. In particular, keep an eye out for Thun Hohenstein Palace, number 20, with the fierce eagles guarding the door, and Mortzin Palace, number 5, where you'll see a pair of moors carrying the balcony on their backs. These are now the Italian and Romanian embassies, respectively. 4. Malostranske Namjesti Upper Square. As you come to the bottom of Nerudova, you'll see that the street opens up into the upper part of a large square, Malostranske Namjesti. The square is dominated and divided by the not too shabby St Nicholas Church. And the main feature of the upper square, apart from some lovely theatres and interesting museums, of course, is the large plague column which stands outside the church entrance. And this column is distinctive for two reasons. 
The first is that it isn't, as you would probably expect, a memorial to those who died in the plague, but rather a message of thanksgiving for the survivors of the epidemic. And secondly, the top of the statue is not home to the Virgin Mary, which is common for these types of columns, but instead has statues of the Holy Trinity. This is a direct message to God. Now, take a quick look behind you and you'll see a stunning blue and cream building called Liechtenstein Palace, number 13. This is very significant in the history of the Czech capital because it was once home to Karol I, Prince of Liechtenstein. Also known as Bloody Liechtenstein, it was the prince who sentenced to death the 27 Hussite leaders of the Battle of the White Mountain. You may already have seen the 27 white crosses in the Old Town Square, which marked the place where they were killed. But it was here that they were sentenced, and that is marked by the 27 cast-iron heads mounted on a row of posts in front of the house. Since the 17th century, the building has been used for various purposes, from a post office to a military barracks. But today it's home to the music school of the Academy of Performing Arts, making it the perfect place to see excellent classical music concerts on the cheap. 5. St Nicholas Church From the upper square, there's only one logical place to go next, into St Nicholas Church. A genuine Baroque masterpiece and the perfect counterpoint to the Gothic St Vitus Cathedral towering above, the Catholic Church was commissioned following the defeat of the Hussites in the Battle of the White Mountain, 1620. The main nave of the church was constructed between 1703 and 1711 by Christoph Dietzenhofer, while the iconic dome was added by his son, Kilian Ignash Dietzenhofer, 25 years later. And the bell tower was added in the 1750s by Kilian's son-in-law, Ancelano Lurago. So this magnificent building was, in essence, a family project. For an additional fee, it's well worth heading up Lurago's bell tower for an amazing view of Prague, as well as a fascinating exhibition about how the police used the tower to spy on submersive elements and foreign embassies during communist times. But back to the nave. The first thing that will strike you when you enter St Nicholas Church is the enormous fresco on the ceiling. It depicts the life of, you guessed it, St Nicholas, and is reputed to be one of the largest in-situ paintings in the whole of Europe. And the rest of the interior is no less impressive either, with an incredible collection of statues, frescoes and side altars, all dripping with gold and precious metals. You can also head up to the balcony for a fresh perspective on the place. One of the church's most significant claims to fame is that Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart loved to play the organ here. In fact, after his death, throngs of local residents gathered here for an impromptu memorial service. And so during the summer evenings, you'll often find Mozart recitals inside the church. If you still have an evening in Prague that's unaccounted for, these are always exceptional. 6. Malostranske Namjesti, Lower Square Turn left when you exit the church and head down the street at the side. It's adorned with rows of excellent cafes and restaurants tucked under a colonnade, which are ideal stops for lunch. 
and you will emerge into the Malostranske Namiesti's lower square, home to a beautifully unusual blend of Renaissance and Baroque architecture. You can thank the two devastating fires in the 16th century for that. This juxtaposition is most evident if you look at the contrasting styles of house numbers 22 and 23. You'll also find individual buildings which combine both architectural styles. Most notably the buildings facing the square at the corner of Tamasca Street, Tamasca No. 1, which has majestic Renaissance-style archways, windows and graffito, but is topped by a distinctly Baroque pediment. 7. St Thomas and St Joseph if you cross the tram lines in the square and leave it to the east on Latenska, you will pass two of Prague's loveliest, lesser-known churches. First up, and almost immediately, you will come across a small alley off to the left, which leads to St Thomas Church. Founded by the Order of Augustinian Herberts in 1285, it was a part of a large monastery complex, including a brewery, for many years, before a major Baroque makeover by the Dietzenhofer clan during the 1720s. Today it's home to one of the most impressive choir lofts in the city, as well as copies of two paintings by Rubens which are flanking the main altar just in case you can't make it to the National Gallery to see the originals. Then, just a few steps further down Atenska, there's another side street off to the right, Josefska, which takes you to St Joseph Church. The tall and ornate façade, which combines Dutch and Italian elements, is equalled by the beautiful white marble interior with golden side altars and high pillars. 8. The Wallenstein Gardens and Palace Continue along Latenska very carefully as the pavements are narrow and the cars and trams that are jostling for space won't slow down for pedestrians and you'll soon find yourself standing outside the rather nondescript entrance to the remarkable Wallenstein Gardens. And unless you're there in the winter, you can push it open to walk into one of Europe's most majestic and hidden city parks. A real ego exercise by the military commander Albrecht of Wallenstein, these 17th century formal gardens have everything you could possibly desire, including landscape lawns, sculpted trees, ornate fountains, grotto walls, even a large aviary, which is home to a wonderful collection of owls. There is also a rather special statuary here, though it's a copy of the original version that was stolen by the Swedes in 1648. When recently the Czechs officially asked Sweden to return it, they simply laughed and declined. The west end of the gardens is dominated by an enormous triple-arched Sala Terena, where concerts are held during the summer. And this provides the entrance to the palace itself. In keeping with the rest of Malastrana, the Wallenstein Palace complex is a real mix of Renaissance and Baroque architectural styles. It's also enormous. Abrecht demolished 23 houses to make space for his project, which he wanted to rival Prague Castle, and hired Italy's finest architects to design and build the house. He then, despite the lack of any permanent residence, employed 700 staff to run it. Today the palace is put to better use, housing the administrative offices of the Czech Parliament. 9. The Kafka Museum 
Once you've finished with the Wallenstein Palace, head out of the gardens the way you came in and continue along Latenska until you get to a crossroads. Here, turn right onto Ulyzitskoho Seminara, and when the street forks, bear left onto Sahelina. This will bring you to the excellent Kafka Museum. Probably the Czech Republic's most famous literary figure, Franz Kafka was born in 1883 in a house right on Prague's Old Town Square and lived in the city for most of his life. So it's no surprise that there's a museum dedicated to his life and work. What is surprising is that it only opened in 2005. The museum showcases a wide variety of interesting exhibits related to Kafka, including several first editions of his books, a plethora of notes and manuscripts, lots of personal effects, including letters, diaries, photographs and drawings, and the odd audiovisual exhibit. Yet in reality, many people don't come here for Kafka at all. They come to see David Cherney's absurd sculpture in the courtyard. When the museum opened, the artist, who's also known for the crawling babies on Zhizhkov TV Tower and the dying horse pastiche in Paliak Lucerna, installed a sculpture of two men joyfully peeing into a fountain shaped like the Czech Republic. And it's been a smash hit. Why? Well, look around and you'll find a mobile phone number. Text your message to it and the sculptures will spell it out for you in urine. 10. Kafka Museum to Charlesbridge After you've spent hours playing with the fountain, walk out of the Kafka Museum courtyard and then turn left back onto Ulazichkeho Seminare. As you're walking along, look out for Shakespeare Asinove, number 10, which is one of the best English-language bookstores in Prague, the perfect place to pick up anything from a handy travel guide to the latest Mills and Boone. As you get to the end of the street, you'll get to a fork in the road with Charles Bridge straight ahead. This, sadly, is the end of the tour. From here, you have three options, really. Turn left onto Narcampe and head under Charles Bridge, which will take you to the starting point for the riverfront walk. Take the stairway up onto the bridge and begin the Charles Bridge to Old Town Square walk, or head back along Lezitskeho Seminare to Malonstranke Namniesti, where you're able to get a metro or tram to anywhere in the city you desire. Whatever you decide to do, we hope you've enjoyed your short walking tour of Malastrana, and we hope you agree that it is not in any way a lesser town.